I have a very short verse that we're going to start out with, okay? And it's in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And when you, if you'll turn there, then I'm going to pray for us. Okay, after we read this little verse that it has had so much impact on our lives. It is one of those verses that really can just revolutionize your whole thinking about God when you read that verse. And all of us, we either have it memorized or we've got it up on our mirror at home or on the visor of our car, and we know this verse. And that verse tells us in verse 19 that Paul said in a very personal way that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that a powerful verse? You know, I'm not even totally sure any of us have really got a hold of what all that means for us. But that scripture says, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. Let's pray together. Lord, Thank I do thank you for that verse, Lord, that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Lord, what a, what a statement he made. Lord, how it has revolutionized our thinking, how, it, how through that our, our whole concept of who you are has been renewed, Lord, as we grasp that scripture into our spirit today, Lord, that, that you, you meet our needs according to your riches in glory, which never end, that, that there's uh, more than we can even ask or think. So I do, I do pray, Lord, for the anointing of your spirit upon us today as we, as we minister your word, as we receive your word, Lord, as we apply it to our life, Lord, as we get it down with inside of us, out of our, just our uh, mental capacity, but down into our spirit about what, Lord, just how much confidence and faith and reliability and dependability that this day that we can put in you. We praise you and thank you, Lord, for each and every one and for this church and what it, the, the, the life that it is in Taylor, Texas. Lord, bless this time together this morning as we share your word in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want you to think about that for just a moment, and that is that the, those two words, and that is your need. Think about that for a moment. Think about you, your need, your need. What is, what is your need today? Everybody here has a need. Everybody here is dealing with something. I heard, a, I heard Billy Graham's daughter make a statement that if you're not careful, you can take it completely out of context. She said, there is, and, and so... Don't take it out of context. You said, there is a pain in every pew. Well, actually, most pastors think that anyway. But she was looking at it. <laughs> Boy, that guy's a real pain. So, but she's looking at it differently, that in every person, there's a pain. We're dealing with something uh, in our life. Well, I've actually put this in three categories. Make it easier. You know, every sermon should have three things. 
The touch of God. Am I right about that? The touch of God. Your pastor. Uh, you know, one time we were here and he preached on the, uh, the armor of God. I, we're outside. I said, two things wrong with your sermon. Oh, no. What are they? I said, everybody in the world didn't get to hear it. That's one thing was wrong with it. And the other thing, it was way too short for me. Let's go back and do it again. It was just too short. It was just so good. I just did not want to quit and leave. I don't know if you ever feel that way, but I just, it was just so powerful. So it should have the touch of God and it should have memorable structure. There should be something in there that you just remember, like an A, B, C kind of thing. Should have something like that. Or a one, two, three. And the other thing is vivid illustrations. What's really going on in the life of the speaker that can really be a benefit to you? See, and all those things really help when you're sharing with somebody. So I want to share this with you today and look at these three categories. And we're going to zero in on one of the three categories that deal with the area of needs uh, in our life. One of them is our physical needs. Do we have, we all have physical needs. We need uh, food and water, don't we? And we need food often, don't we? Uh, We need sleep. Everybody needs sleep. And we need air. All of these are the physical needs we have. Now, we think we got a lot more, but those are the physical needs that we need right now. What about, what about your spiritual needs? Your spiritual needs. Well, uh, I jotted down a few. You can probably think of a lot more. Uh, one of the spiritual needs we have is this communion with God. Not just a Saturday morning, a Sunday morning communion with God, but an everyday life. It is our, it is our life. This is our life. This is not something we do one day a week, is it? This is our life that we commune with God. The other would be uh, freedom from guilt and shame. That's part of uh, the spiritual need we have there. We want to be free from guilt in our life and the shame uh, in our life. We want want to receive forgiveness and we want to give forgiveness. So a spiritual need that we have is to walk in forgiveness all the time, to forgive you know, Cheryl and I, uh, we, uh, I remember telling our Sunday school class one time uh, when Cheryl was with me and I said, you know, Cheryl and I, we had not had an argument when, at that day. We had not had an argument in our marriage in two days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, right? Am I, are you with me here? Okay. <laughs> we had gone two days. No argument. So I think maybe she was gone those two days. Was she? No, it, it, she was there. It was usually me. I'm the one with the mouth. So <laughs> I have the mouth and the body of Christ, I really think. And, uh, but, we always, but we always forgave. We always forgave. Quickly, we forgave each other. That spiritual need there to walk in forgiveness toward each other. We did not build things up in our marriage. We didn't let it linger and fester and let bitterness and resentment get in there. We forgave real quickly. Another thing is a clear conscience. Isn't that good? You know, what would that mean? It, that there is, there, you know, you can come before the Lord and there's nothing there that's going to hinder that, 
that uh, intimacy with you and God. Another would be peace and love. We want, we want peace in our life, not like the world gives, but like Jesus gives, right? And the love, not like the world gives, which is an, an eros love, not but an agape, God love. And those are real major spiritual needs that you and I have in our life. So we have God, when God created us, he, got, he created us with physical needs and he created us with spiritual needs. But I want you to think about a third category and that would be emotional needs, the emotional needs that God has given to us and we, that you and I have in our life. I'll try to do better next time. I know this doesn't look good. Jeff, Pastor Jeff really, uh, he's so much more professional and I'm just, you know, whatever I am. And, uh, but think about that for a moment, that if God, if God met those needs right there, doesn't it make sense that he will meet the emotional needs that you have, that you and I have in our life as well? Won't he meet those needs that we've got as well? And I think he will. And I'm, we're going to actually look at a few of those. Oh, there's the clock over there. Okay, all right. Uh, they used to be right there, and now it's a cross. I think that's supposed to mean something to me, but because uh, I've got it, so I'll try to keep this as brief as I can. Uh, the emotional needs might include this. Okay, some of these. There's a lot of emotional needs, but think about these. One of them would be acceptance. That's an emotional need that we have. One would be approval, encouragement, support, uh, affection, security, uh, respect. Attention, comfort, and appreciation. That's just ten that I wrote down that I think are very important needs. And it's obviously that we have built into us this physical and spiritual and emotional DNA. And God meets those. I guess the question would be why? Did you ever wonder why God created us that we need to sleep. Why did he make our bodies that way? That we need to lay down uh, so Serta can sell mattresses? Why did he do that? That, that we need to sleep? Uh, you know, why did he, why do we need air? Why is our body like that? Why do we need breakfast tacos every morning? I mean, like seven days a week. Why is that, that we need that? I don't know. God made us that way. Why do we, why is there with inside of you and I this yearning that we have? It is an absolute yearning that we have within us to have that closeness with God and with other people. It is just built into us, isn't it? You know, God did not make us to just to isolate ourselves from him and other people. So he put that within us. And so I want you to think about this story for a moment in the book of Genesis chapter 2. When God created uh, man or Adam, when God created him, and there are six occasions there, when God looked at everything that he had made and he said, this is good, didn't he? He looked at it and said it was good. And then when he made man, after he created man, this is the first time that the scripture says that he said it was not good. He didn't say man was not good, did he? Of course, no, we don't want to go there. All right, do we? He didn't say man was not good. He said this is not good. There's something there in this situation that is not good. What was really wrong with that situation? And that was that Adam seemed to have everything in his life 
that he could possibly need, and yet God looked at it and said, it is not good. Boy, we need more light up here, don't we? Okay, so forget I said that. Don't tell Pastor Jeff I made that comment, okay? So uh, I'll pay you money if you won't tell him. But I want you to look at Adam. I want you to look at Adam's life for just a moment and think about that situation. And I want you to compare it to you and I here today. And three things about Adam that I think are very important to us, and that is that Adam lived in a perfect environment. Everything in Adam's life was cool. He had no problems. There wasn't even sin in the world at that time. So everything is great. He had no problems with his daily provision, with his 401K, which mine is turning into a 101K. I don't know about yours, but he's not having any problems with the IRS, uh, with his retirement. Everything is really good with Adam. He has no problems. Think about that in your life. Think about that right now where you are right now in me, in my life. We have no problems. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Everything's great. Secondly is that Adam possessed everything. He owned it all. You know, think of that, that all of his daily provisions were made. He probably had like a, you know, bass boat out there with a big pickup truck in the front of it. You know, he owned everything. Well, maybe he didn't have that. I don't know for sure. I'll have to read up on that. But he owned everything, didn't he? It all belonged to him. And the third thing is, that he had this exalted position. God had given him authority over everything. He had dominion over everything that was there. Now, kind of put all those together and think about Adam's life for a moment and think about yours because you and I think if I didn't have any problems, if everything in my life was good and I had no financial problems at all in my life or if on the job I was the boss instead of that guy who really doesn't know how to do a very good job anyway and I was there then everything would be good in my life. And God looked at Adam and said, it is not good. And Adam had every one of those things. And that's what you and I think. If I just had those lottery numbers, oh, Lord, what are those numbers? My life would be just great. And it probably would not be. But think about that for a moment. So what was the not good part about Adam. And the not good part was that Adam was alone, wasn't he? He was alone. Or was he? Wow, that's an interesting question. Was he alone? Was God? Was Adam really alone? God was there, wasn't he? God was with him. God walked with him in the cool of the day. God met all of his physical needs. God was there to minister to him spiritually. But there was something that was missing in Adam's life And that was another person like him to relate to the needs that Adam had in his life. And Adam could not meet those needs himself. And God created someone like Adam to meet those relational needs that I read just a few moments ago. Someone that that Adam could enter into a meaningful relationship with. God had designed him to need someone else. God designed you and I to need somebody else in our life. It may not, may not be a, uh, a spouse. It could be someone else. But I think about this for a moment. His needs weren't physical. His needs weren't spiritual. His needs were relational. He had a relational need. And Adam needed to be involved 
with another human being. You know, God created him that way. But think about how God meets the needs in our life. You know, the first thing that God does, and in the Scriptures at least, is that God created the marriage. So it is in, in that marriage relationship that our needs are met. The, the husband and the, 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 uh, the spouse meets the spouse's needs and vice versa. But, you know, all of us know that, you know, because of death or divorce, you know, that situation has changed dramatically. And there's not that person there in your life anymore. Uh, and we see it a little bit later in the Scriptures, actually Genesis 5, God created the family. So it's in a family setting, mom and dad, the siblings, where those needs that I mentioned to you a moment ago are really met. God wants them to be met in that family. But about back in about the 1970s, when I really began to hear this word a lot, and the word was called dysfunctional. Anybody ever heard of that word before? Dysfunctional. We found out that their families that were terribly dysfunctional, they weren't functioning like families ought to function. My, dad wasn't there for dad wasn't there to take care of those kids. Mom wasn't there to meet those needs in those kids' life. Mom and dad weren't even meeting the needs in their life. And so these little children began to grow up with their needs going unmet, only to try to find somebody in the world that would meet those needs. So so God, as the scripture continues, God created the church. And it's in that this is actually called this is called the family of families. This is what this is right here. We are the family of families. We're all a family, but now it's all these families together that make up this family of families. The church, the ecclesia, the the called out ones, that's just who you and I are. And so it's in this setting right here that God wants to see needs met in your life. That brother and sister communion with one another, that we meet each other's needs in the life. So let's look at those needs kind of briefly, okay? We'll look at each one of them. And the first one we're going to look at is the word called acceptance. Acceptance. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Okay, you don't, you don't need to turn. Just listen. Unless you want to write it down, it would be real good if you did that. But Romans 15, 7 says, Wherefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. You know, to accept one, someone means that you may, not, uh, you may not look like that person. You may not even believe like that person. You may not even act like that person. You know, this person here may be totally different from over. You may even have to overlook a lot of faults that that person has in their life. But you're accepting that person as somebody who is a who is made in the image of God. You accept them as an individual. There may be people that come through those double doors back there sometime that are totally different than all of us right here today. And God says, accept one another. Accept them. That Meet that need. You know, there's a church in Austin that we went to, Cheryl and I did, called Shoreline Christian Center. And, and Shoreline has more people than the town we live in in Cameron. And the, the one thing that made that church so successful, not only is the pastor a great guy, but the fact that everybody there that comes is accepted. And there are people that come that, are, that have come straight off of the streets of downtown Austin to that church, of all colors in that church. And they come there and people accept them. And one of the major 
Cheryl and I have done prison ministry for the last, well, starting in 92 up until she got ill. And uh, we did marriage classes in prison for 19 years. And one of the things we found out about these men and women that get out of prison and go back into a church, the family of families, is the one thing that they need more than anything else is acceptance. They need to be accepted. This is a child of God. I don't care. I, you know, I was, uh, I was in a prison uh, uh, just a few days ago, and um, the big thing now is to tattoo your head. And uh, I was thinking about getting a few myself. So uh, <laughs> I haven't come up with a design yet, something really snazzy. Maybe a couple of uh, lightning bolts on both sides or something. So... Now, isn't that something? Now, we have a guy walk into the door. The guy, is, he has no hair. He shaved his head, and he's now tattooed his whole head. And he's going to sit down in this church with you. And this is very critical. Do we accept him or do we not? We do, don't we? Well, we're going to look at something else about him in a minute, but in just a little bit. But let's look at something else. It's called appreciation. Appreciation. First uh, Corinthians 11.2. I am numerically challenged. Do you know what that means? I'll get numbers backwards every time. So I have to work at it. First Corinthians 11.2 says, I will praise you. Go on and read the rest of that verse. It's, it's to commend others for doing well or putting forth an effort. It's to praise people verbally and also publicly for who they are as their character and for what they do in life. Do you like to be appreciated? Is there anybody here that says, I don't care? Most all of us like to be appreciated. You know, when you're at your home, it's the spouse, you're with your wife and your spouse does something, don't you think they like to be appreciated verbally, to be told, this is really wonderful, thank you for what you did. You know, uh, Cheryl and I used to have an exercise that we did that we would talk to, to one another. We would, I would appreciate her for her character, for the kind of person that she was, and then for what she would do. We'd talk about that, of, of how we can appreciate each other for not just the things we do, like, I, you know, I appreciate you for mowing the yard. That would be Cheryl, not me. And appreciate you for painting the house. That would be Cheryl again. And uh, those things. But it's more, a lot more than that. It was, I appreciate you for your character, for your patience with the children. You know, the way that you conduct yourself. Your, how punctual you are. How considerate you are with others. How loving you are with other people. I appreciate that about you. So appreciation is a really major thing. And if that need is met, it really gives you this very sense of gratefulness in your life. You know, how many times do we, do we point out in our children's life the things that they are doing that are not right... But do we ever spend that time with them showing how much we appreciate what they do? Appreciation is so very, very important. We need to accept one another. We need to appreciate one another. The other one would be support. Galatians 6.2 says this. Carry each other's burdens. It's to help people in their time of need. It's to be available to others. It's to initiate an offering of help. 
It is to run errands. It is to wash dishes. It is to do the yard work. It is to babysit for someone. It is to support someone. You know, I, 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 many times in a marriage I've talked with people that say, I don't feel like I'm really getting much support in this family. You know, I, I have this spouse and I have these children, but I don't feel like anybody's really supporting me. They're not there to lift me up and to help me with these things. I feel like I'm carrying the load here myself, supporting one another. You know, I've talked to a lady in Austin, and she was talking about her husband. He does nothing at their house, nothing. She does all of the inside work and all of the outside work. He does nothing there to help her. You know, my advice was to run him off. But anyway, that was kind of probably a little too drastic. I mean, you know, you can't just run the guy off. Can you, Norman? Okay, all right. Well, I didn't really tell her that. I, I, I just said, I'm going to talk to your husband. And... Um, so it's, it is supporting each other when you have needs. You know, when, the, when uh, Nadine is in the hospital, is there things you could do out there at their property to help them? You know, I had people that came to our house when Cheryl was in the hospital and they mowed our yard. Sometimes, I mean, our, my neighbor would mow it. I had people that were friends of mine would come over and do things at, at my house for me because I just didn't have time to get them done. Support is just very important. Are you supporting your spouse? Are you there to lift them up and encourage them? If, when that need is met, it gives you that sense of being loved. Don't you like to feel that, have that sense that somebody really loves you, that there's people in the body of Christ that really do love you, that God really loves you? He has not forgotten about you, that he's there for you, and he brings people into your life to help you when you just feel like you're doing all this stuff by yourself, and, they, and God just moves somebody in. What can I do? How can I help you? I, probably, I don't know how many times I heard those words. What can I do for you? What can I do? How about encouragement? 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Listen to this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Encourage each other. Build each other up. That's, that is words uh, that are positive and uplifting, encouraging each, you know, your, your, uh, your children, helping them to set goals in their life, encouraging them, letting, letting people know, I'm praying for you. I know you're going through a tough time right now in your life, but I just need to let you know, I'm, in, I'm right there with you. I'm, in, I'm praying for you through this situation. You know, making uh, phone calls or sending cards or visiting someone. Being there for them, encouraging somebody in this real time of need. You know, everybody gets discouraged. We all get discouraged, don't we? We get down about things. You know, we take our children's problems at school so terribly lightly. You know, we think that, you, know, you think you've got problems now. Wait till you get to be an adult. And you, now you'll know what problems is. That's a problem to them. That's, that's something they're dealing with, and that's a problem. And sometimes those kids get very discouraged about stuff. They're, they're dealing with stuff in school that we probably know nothing about. And they just need a positive word from you, something uplifting from you every day. And they're, to, to speak that into their life every day, 
you, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm with you. I'm for you. We're going we can do this together. How about respect? You feel like you need respect in your life. First Peter 2.17 says, show proper respect to everyone. And that's something. Listening to other people's opinions and ideas. Respecting their property, their privacy. You know, knock on your kid's door before you go busting in there. It's respecting other people's time. I was talking to a friend of mine when I was driving. I spent the night in Austin, and I was talking to a friend of mine as I was driving down the highway. I really don't like doing that, actually, at all. I'm not a good driver. I don't talk on the phone well. Put them together. It is like an accident looking for a place to happen. So I didn't want to, I really didn't want to do it. But anyway, she made this comment, and that was that do those children have a voice? Do your kids have a voice? Do you let them have a voice? We are, as, a, as adults, it is yuck, 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 yuck. Opinion, opinion, advice, 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 advice. Do we ever let them have a voice back to tell us what their real needs are? Let them speak. And most of the time we don't. Respect is a major, major thing. We don't show respect for other people. And kids not only want respect, they need to be giving respect as well. And we really live in an era when people don't even understand respect. When Cheryl and I were in prison one time down close to Houston, and there was a couple there. And that this couple, we had about 12 or 14 couples, and this guy and his wife were just at it all day. I didn't really know what was going on with them. But anyway, finally, I just got enough of it. I was so tired of this guy. And so I, took, I said, let's go out in the hallway, and we're going to talk. So we went out there, and I said, look, I don't feel like I'm getting any respect from you. Okay, I understand. That's all I had to tell that guy. I understand. He was a, he was a model student the rest of the day. He, he just did not understand that he wasn't giving me respect until I told him. He See, in prison, you understand respect. Respect is a very important thing. And he knew exactly what that meant to me. And when I told him that, they just clammed up. Turned out she had wrecked the car. Then I said, get on her again. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I didn't say that to him at all. Remember Aretha Franklin's song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T? That's what we need in our life. We just need it. We just need respect in our life. We need to give respect. Are we respecting uh, other people? When, this, when, this, when we start at 1030, which I think is the time, and you come bolting in the door about 1045, are you really showing respect? I mean, will you always, every service, you're the guy that comes late. You're always late. You know, are you showing respect to the house of God and the pastor or whoever, whoever's up here doing the worship? And here you come in the door. That's not really respect. How about security? Security is a major thing. Psalms 122 verse 6 says, May those who love you be secure. Hmm. Are we... Boy, that is a verse, isn't it? Think about this. Security is a freedom from exposure to danger. 
It is financial security in a family. It is children who know that their parents care for them. Those little kids know that mom and dad are going to take care of them. Do they, do they know that? Do, do, do the children absolutely know that mom and dad are going to be there for them? Well, they certainly should, shouldn't they? I get this wrong about half the time that I, so in my mind. So it is a wife who in this area says to her husband, I am a one-woman man. I am a one-woman man. It is, a, it is the husband who says, I am a one-man woman. You are my wife. You are my husband. And there is no one else. You don't have to feel insecure that there's somebody out there somewhere. You can feel secure in this marriage that I'm there for you. That's very, very important. Kids, you know what? You know one of the things that makes kids feel the most secure when they see daddy kissing mama. Why did you wrinkle your nose like that? Okay, when <laughs> just stay with me, would you? When they, there is, it gives you such a warm feeling when they see daddy hugging mama. They know. They're together. That is so wonderful. That is security in the family. You know, you, you know, if you have to take two jobs, there should be financial security in that family. Nobody should be worrying about, are we going to lose this house? Whatever you've got to do, you've got to do it. Whatever it takes, you've got to do it to make sure that there is security in that house. How about approval? Now, see, I talked about acceptance a while ago where we accept people as God's creation. But what about approval? It sounds almost the same thing, but it's not. Romans 14, 18. Romans 14, 18. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. That's the NIV version. Uh, I actually put down... uh, Something else, but it's the NIV version there. Oh, I put down HIV. It's what I really put down. But I didn't mean HIV. I meant NIV. So it means to view people through God's eyes. Do you look at people through God's eyes? Do you separate uh, who they are, that's their value, and that's their importance and their significance from what they do? See, you know, we accept everybody. We accept everyone as God's creation. But we may not approve of their behavior at all. What they're doing, we may not approve of it. But we need to look beyond that and and show approval. I may not approve of your behavior, but I'm going to love you as God's creation. Do you feel like there's people that don't approve of, you know, what you do? Well, I think we probably do. See, when that need is met in our life and people do, you know, you show approval to your children for what they do and the, the, their character that they are, it really makes, makes them more productive, more confident, gives them a good self-image of who they are, approval. Well, that was, now we have, that was seven. 
of them, and we got three more we're going to deal with, okay? And that these three, I want you to kind of think about your life for a moment, maybe when you were a kid. Uh, some of you still are. Norman, a couple of these over here, still children, kids. I want you to think about this for a minute, and that is when you were, when you were a youngster uh, between the age of about 1 and 18, think about your life for a moment. Uh, who really did show you attention in your life? Who showed you attention? Who gave you affection? And who comforted you when you were hurting? Who was there for you during those times? Uh, now, and let's look at let's just look at the two of those right now. And one of them is attention. Attention. First Corinthians twelve twenty five. Are you still with me, or are y'all dozing? Okay. Are you still with me? Okay, well, just it won't be long, and we'll be down at Luby's having lunch, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 25. But that, but that the members of the body should have the same care for one another. And that is going into the world, taking thought of one another, showing interest, showing concern, showing support. It's entering into the world of someone else, entering into their world. Attention is entering into their world, not bringing them into your world, but you entering their world and the things that they're doing. It's going uh, where people are. What, what's going on in their life? Listening to what they say. Uh, taking your children on, a, on a, a, a date one night and taking them to dinner and going to their recitals and going to their concerts and going to their games and going to their programs and going to their award ceremonies and being there for those children and those grandchildren, being there for them, entering into their world, doing the things they like to do, not the things that you like to do. It's, it's, it's dying to self and, do, and entering into their life. And that's, that is attention and when you were a kid, was there anybody that really showed you attention? Was there somebody that was in your life that entered into your world and did the things that you liked to do, not the things that they wanted to do? And so very often we find that that, that is not the case. We don't have anybody that's going to sacrifice their agenda and their priorities for you. And that's just the case. And that's not right. And we, you know, we need to make sure with our own children and our grandchildren that we enter into their world. We show them the attention that we probably didn't get when we were kids. I don't know if you ever watched this movie called Courageous. I think that's the name of it. Courageous. Uh, I think that was it. Anyway, there's a police officer. He and his little girl are in the police, no, in his car. And she gets out of the car and she wants to dance. You remember that scene in the movie? And she wants to dance. Are you, did anybody over here see this movie on this side? Okay, thank you. All right. Y'all were looking at me really odd. Okay, like, hmm. And the dad would not get out of the car. Wouldn't get out. He sat in the car. Actually, he kind of looked around, didn't he? See if anybody's watching this scene. And then later, he went back to that same spot and he wished that that little girl was there. If he could just go back five minutes, 
if he could just have five minutes with that little girl again. Not going to happen, is it? Not until we get there. Not going to happen here. He didn't give her that attention right there that she... He watched her, but he never entered into her world. He didn't get out and dance that little dance with her, did he? And he should have done it. Should have done it. We don't want to be a. We don't want to be people of should have done it, do we? We don't want to be that kind of person. We want to be there, entering into that world, entering into your wife's world, into your, entering into your husband's world, into the things that he likes, the things that she likes. I talked to someone two or three days ago that said. Now, of course, they've been married 50 years, so, you know, I guess there's something working out. But he said, well, you know, she goes and does her thing, and I go do my thing. And at night, you know, we kind of talk about it. And, uh, I mean, 50 years, I mean, cannot we argue with that? But it just didn't seem to me like a real close marriage if they're going and doing this stuff like this. It's not entering into the other person's world. It's not really showing attention to that individual. The other thing is called is affection. Romans sixteen sixteen was the closest one I could get, and it says, "Greet one another with a holy kiss." Well, you got to watch that, don't you? You don't want to get slapped. So, <laughs> of course, you got to remember the time that this was going on. But it means to communicate care and closeness through physical touch and affirming words, verbalizing your love. Hugging someone. You know, men, we go up, we pat each other on the back, you know. We embrace. That's a good thing about Christianity. We speak words of love to one another. We speak kindness to each other. It's encouraging other, others to, as we speak, spontaneous expressions to one another. Uh, sometimes they're, uh, they're even unmerited, but we do it. We, you, know, we, you know, we used to have this thing when, uh, before we retired. We lived in Austin. And uh, and we Cheryl and I would have a thirty second phone call. I'd call her at her office, and uh, and I'd just say, you know, we never said what's for supper, uh, stuff like that. It was always, you know, I, I hope you're having a good day. I've just been, I'm here. I'm thinking about you. I'm looking forward to seeing you tonight. I love you. Thirty seconds. Our call. We we did that all the time. We'd call each other. You know. The, you know, the uh, at home, you know, she, I found the other day, I found a poem Cheryl had written in 1994, and it was about me. Or it was about somebody else, maybe, because it sure didn't sound like me. Anyway, it was, I'm pretty sure it was me. She always referred to me as her first husband. I, that made me feel a little insecure right there. Uh, so, anyway, uh, no, she didn't do that. Uh, but the poem would talk about, we like to buy antiques. Our house looks like a museum, actually. And and sometimes when we were in the antique store, you know, I'd go up and I'd kiss her on the cheek. Just would walk by and I'd kiss her. And uh, and she wrote that in the poem, how much that meant to her. I didn't know it did, but it really meant something to her. What She would dance and she would like dance around and I'd say, Look, you're going to get us thrown out of this antique store if you don't quit that. But she liked to dance around in the stores. and But it was showing affection, hugging your kids, telling them that you love them, telling your grandchildren that you love them, how much you care about them. Cheryl was 42 years old. 
she came in the room one day where I was sitting there, uh, and she said, I just got off the phone with my father, and he told me today for the first time he loved me. And she never, ever forgot that moment. That meant, that meant something to her that day. That he had never in all of those years, he built most of this building here. He had, Well, actually I didn't. I mean, Norman did, but it wasn't. And But he did a lot of this work here. And uh, But he never told her that he loved her. Isn't that sad? Think about your life. Are you, I mean, are you speaking affectionate words into somebody else's life? Do you tell these kids that you love them? Do you hug on them? Do you kiss them? When Cheryl was so ill, these from like, um, well, all of the time actually, but she would lay on the sofa most of the day and, and she would sleep a lot. And I would, I would get down on my knees in front of her and I would just kiss her all over her face till she told me to quit. You know, right? Okay, that does not sound like Cheryl. Would you quit this, please? I would just kiss on her, and I would tell her how much I loved her. And she really liked it. I did not, I, I wanted to make sure that I never, ever came to a place in my life that I ever said, I wish I would have done that. And I made sure that I never got to that place in my life. I stayed with her day and night. And did whatever I needed to do to make sure she was okay. Have you ever told your family, I've been thinking about you today and how special you are to me and how much I love you. You ever said those words? You cannot say them enough. I'll tell you a funny story and we're about to wrap it up. So, you know, don't worry about it. We'll get out of here quick. I worked in, I, I used to be an auditor. There was a guy that sat over here beside me, and he, his wife had called 16 times a day. Good Lord. Every time his phone rang, it would be his wife. And at the end of every conversation, he had to tell his wife, he told his wife, I love you. Every, and I, and I, one time I looked at him, he said, he said I, she asks me every time she calls, do you love me? Very insecure woman. Do you love me? I love you. That's what he would say every time. Well, we audited Four dealerships. So we would go out to, uh, I don't know if there's one here or not. I can't remember. Yeah, there was one downtown that we used to go to. But anyway, uh, we would audit these four dealerships. And so the, the, uh, the people that owned these dealerships would call us, like begging for mercy most of the time. So anyway, he's on the phone with one of these four guys that owns a dealership. And when he got through talking with the guy, he said, I love you and hung up. And then, and then he looked over at me and, oh, no, I can't believe I told that guy I loved him. He said, I don't even like him. <laughs> well, God loved him, did he? The last one is comfort. I know you didn't think we'd ever make it, but thank God we did. Comfort. Did you get comfort when you were a kid? Anybody comfort you? Anybody comforting you now? Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we might comfort those who are in trouble. You see, we need, we have a need for comfort when we're experiencing rejection, disappointment, physical illness, 
stress, a tragedy, divorce, separation, just being emotionally down. That's all I could think of. We need comfort in our life. Your kids need to be comforted. The Greek word there does mean to come along beside someone. It's to walk along beside someone else to aid them, a idea, to to aid them. And so we come along beside someone who is going through a very difficult time and we walk with them through that situation. We walk with them through it. Comforting someone and being comforted is an emotional issue. Uh, You know, possibly, uh, you know, you've had uh, sadness and hurt and disappointment in your life. And then somebody responds back to you, and sometimes that response is not very comforting. It does not comfort you when you when you hear what they have to say. There's a great scripture. If you want to experience what God's Word said, Romans 12:15 is one, and that is it, Romans 12:15 says, Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. Can we rejoice with people? that are rejoicing. I talked to a lady on the phone uh, the other day, and she was telling me about one of her friends who came into this money. This was actually yesterday. Came into the money, and I, and I said, now let me tell you something. This is the time that you need to rejoice with her. She was first thinking, how come I didn't get any money? I said, this is the time right here that you need to rejoice with that lady who got that money. You need to experience this word. It also says we weep with those that weep. But what we generally get from people is a very unproductive response. And that is we get facts, we get advice, we get reasoning, we get explanations, we get criticism, we get complaints, and we get neglect. Somebody's going through something, and we're giving them all of these unproductive responses in their life. You know, David Ferguson is a guy in Austin that we know, and he was talking about a lady that was in their ministry that was waiting for her daughter to get off the bus, and the, the school bus, and she got off the bus, tears running down her face, and she ran over to her mother and said, they were making fun of me on the bus. And the mother said, what did you do to cause them to make fun of you? See, What the girl really needed was for mom to get down there and put her arms around her and hug her and just hold this girl and give her that emotional touch. And she didn't do that. She gave her something that she did not need. A fact. We give people facts when they need comfort. Let me tell you a fact. A fact is that all things work together for good. That is a fact. But there are times when we don't need facts. I don't need a fact. I don't need to know that. I know that. A fact is, I called a lady on the phone who Cheryl knew had owned an antique store up in a town called Henderson, and she had lost her son a few years before Cheryl had written her a packet of letters and said, read one of these letters every day. And the lady did, and then she read them, and then she reread them and reread them, 
And I called, the, this was a few years ago, like three or four, and I called the lady and I said, this is what's happened. And her words were to me, well, she's in a better place. I didn't need to know Cheryl was in a better place. That is a fact. It's not the fact I needed to hear. She's in a better, and I went on and talked to her and the lady told me it again. Well, she's in a better place. Well, that's true, isn't it? Obviously, that's true. And see, we give our kids facts when they come to us and they're hurting. They got problems and we give them facts. How about correction? You know the reason you're having this trouble in your life? Let me tell you. This is, you got, I know you're hurting. Here's the reason why. Let me tell you why. This is what you're doing wrong. Well, thank you for that comfort. See, that's not very comforting, is it? How about teaching? Now, the next time this happens to you, this is what you do. One time, I have a grandson. He's 19, but when he was about three or four, Cheryl was coming up to Cameron to take care of her father on the weekend, and I was taking care of him, and he fell down. He's like three or four, fell on the carpet. And uh, he's crying. He calls me Papa. He started that. We don't know how all that started, actually. But anyway, that's what he called me as a, even a little boy. So, he, and he goes by CJ, Craig Jr. I don't like that at all, but that's what the family called him. Okay, CJ, where am I at? Next time, if you won't be running around, you won't fall and hurt yourself. And then... CJ looks up at me and he says, Thank you, Papa. I'll never fall again. Not true. (laughs) We didn't even go there. You know what CJ needed? He was a little boy. He was always a little kid. And when when he was like up to about five, what he needed was for me to get down on the carpet with him. That's where he needed me. We went to church with a family in Austin. The wife was, there was a wife there, a couple, and this wife was pretty, was pretty bad shape. And she was in the choir, and she came to the stairs and fell down the stairs. She is laying at the bottom of the stairs. When I saw her, she's laying at the bottom of the stairs, and Cheryl is holding her. Sometimes when we are at our very lowest, it's when we need somebody to just hold us and say, it's going to be okay. God loves you. It's going to be okay. How about advice? Now, if I were you, I'd do something different. Let me give you some advice. How about neglect? Let's talk about something else, okay? That's a bad subject. I get neglected a lot of Cameron. You know, they're afraid I'm going to, like, be emotional. Can you imagine that? Anyway... And I do, but I, only, I get more emotional at home than I do anywhere else. But let's, let's not talk about something that is so, you know, it's kind of a, you know, delicate subject. Let's just, let's ignore that. Let's talk about something else, okay? How about criticism? You know, your problem is you're way too sensitive. You let things, you let people hurt you too much. You're just a sensitive person. Get over it. How about a complaint? You think you got problems? Let me tell you about my problems. I got problems. So all of a sudden, you're not talking about them anymore. You are now talking about you. And they're standing there 
There's a song we used to sing, bleeding and dying, and you're talking about you. You've turned everything back to you. And comfort might sound something like this. Oh, comfort says we are just about done. That's very comforting, isn't it? Okay. Comfort might sound like I can really see that you're hurting, and it saddens me to see you so fearful. It might sound like this. I deeply care about you, and I love you, and I'm committed to go through this with you. That's comforting. It might even include uh, a hug. It might include a touch, encouraging words. I'm sad that this has happened to you, and I know that that must hurt. And I want to pray for you right now. And see, this brings healing and understanding and fulfillment and closeness in your marriage and in your family. God placed these needs in our life, and He brought somebody else into your life to see that those needs are met. Now, God ultimately meets all the needs we have, but He's going to use you and I to meet needs in other people's lives. Let's be sensitive to the needs that other people have. Look for them, okay? Amen. Let's stand together, please. Now, I don't know how the services are closed here, but I'm going to... uh, I'm going to, I want to ask you about the most important need that we have in our life, and that is a need for Jesus in our life, that we need Christ in our life above everything else. So if you have never accepted the Lord as your Savior, or if you feel like you're like that song we were singing about Zion up there a while ago, uh, that you're just in a foreign land, you, sure, you feel like you are way away from God. And you're over somewhere else and God's back over there in Israel like that song is. Then uh, come up. We'll pray for you. Okay. If you feel that way today. Let's bow our heads together. Okay. So people don't feel so terribly self-conscious in case anyone wants to come up for prayer. Right. We'll wait. We're just going to wait a moment. But if you feel that way, I want to pray for you. And there's others here that would like to pray for you as well. Well, Lord, I thank you for uh, this body of believers here today. Thank you for everyone. Lord, I'm I'm thankful we've had this time together that we can look into your word. And, uh, Lord, just deal with some everyday, common sense, rubber-meets-the-road problems that we have. Something that every one of us deal with every day of our life at least one of those ten and maybe a lot more. So I pray, Lord, that, that we will always be sensitive to those that are around us, our children, our grandchildren, our spouses, uh, our friends, our pastor, Lord, and meet the needs that they've got in our life. Lord, use us. Lord, use us to be your hand extended out to those that are around us. I just I pray for each one here. I just, Lord, according to your word, I just pray that you will just multiply the blessings in the life of each one here today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Yes, ma'am.